Okay, so today um, we're talking about uh, transforming hospitality. And look, radical hospitality, when I was thinking about it, it's hospitality that goes beyond what is normal. And in this passage, oh no, hang on, there's one from Luke. Here we go. Uh, one from Luke that Daniel has referred to many times over the past five or six weeks, um, that Jesus, in his pursuit of hospitality, went way beyond what was considered normal 2,000 years ago. You know, people were witnessing Jesus uh, going out and he was eating and drinking with all sorts of people, and some of them were considered to be the wrong sort. So transforming hospitality uh, goes hand in hand with radical hospitality and that it takes radical hospitality to its, its extreme. See, because anybody, anybody and everybody can be hospitable. We can hold a dinner party. Anybody can do that. You don't have to be spiritual. You don't need a miracle in your life to hold an everyday dinner party. But it does take a miracle to actually desire to have strangers and perhaps even the unlovable in your home and sharing your food and your time. So transforming hospitality is radical hospitality that's, that's, that results in a complete change, okay? A complete change in you as the host as well as the person or the people that you're reaching out to. And so today I want to touch on, on three things briefly, uh, hopefully, <laughs> about radical hospitality, okay? Now, how radical hospitality transforms us as hosts. I want to touch on that and how radical hospitality can then transform strangers. And then I want to close on how radical hospitality can transform the unlovable. So let's just take a moment to think about that. I'm just going to pray briefly, uh, but you know, you can just think about those three things. Uh, gracious Father, Hospitality is a, a tough gig for, for many of us here. Um, it means opening ourselves up uh, and sharing stuff that, look, you know, it's, it's mine, it's ours. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at your word and talk about this, uh, that you will prompt and encourage each one of us, Father, to change and become more like Jesus so people can say of us, hey, we're coming, eating and drinking. And I, I pray this in your name. Amen. Right, the Bible in uh, the book of Romans, chapter 12, says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need practice hospitality. Now Romans 12, the, the whole book was written by a man called Paul and in chapter 12 uh, it's one of the places in the Bible where God actually commands us to practice hospitality and it shows us uh, what Pastor Daniel has already spoken about, you know, that the heart of hospitality, uh, the motivation behind it is unconditional love and once we've got that kind of love, there's the command to practice hospitality. Now, the word hospitality uh, in Greek, uh, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The original word means simply to love strangers or love for strangers. 
And the word practice uh, here in the original Greek language actually means to pursue in much the same way that, uh, well, I guess a young fella might pursue a young lady with whom he is madly in love. And so radical hospitality, he doesn't wait for the stranger to come to his doorstep. He goes out and he intentionally goes out to, uh, to, to grab them. So how does radical hospitality transform us? Well, another place in the New Testament where God gave us the command to be hospitable is in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 4. And verse 9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In other words, we're to offer hospitality willingly and ungrudgingly to one another. Now everyone here... Uh, I hope, would be cons- uh, familiar with the concept of gravity. Okay? It doesn't matter where you are on this planet, if you drop something, it's going to fall to the ground, it's going to head towards the centre of the Earth. And so Earth, uh, our planet, has this force which naturally pulls everything down to its centre, and that's why we don't float off into space, Okay, because we're pulled down to the centre. Well, we humans also have a psychological force that pulls everything into us, into the center of the world. Our time, our money, our friends, our thoughts, our feelings, you know, our possessions, all of these things are pulled in, you know, to me, to me, it's mine. You know, these these forces are extremely powerful and they naturally draw everything in our lives to ourselves except the needs of other people. It's called selfishness. And I I have to admit, and I'm embarrassed to stand here before you today, confessing that one of my biggest problems has been, and still is to some extent, selfishness. Now, um, as far as hospitality is concerned, most people would have labelled me, as I was growing up, a fairly hospitable person. Because back in the 80s and 90s, um, as in the 1980s and 90s, (laughs) Um, I was always the guy that would turn up, uh, we lived out in the country, out west of the Blue Mountains, and I would be the guy that would turn up at a party with, with two slabs of beer, one under each arm, for everyone to share. Okay, and I was the guy who would, um, if someone was having a birthday party and needed a venue, I'd, I'd book it, I'd pay for it, and, and, and that was it. Um, you know, if someone was having a party and they needed fireworks in New South Wales, it's illegal to actually have them and purchase them. I would hop in the car, drive from Sydney to Canberra and back in a day with a box full of fireworks uh, just for this party. So on the surface, it looked like that I was this really uh, generous guy who was ready to go anywhere and do anything to help at a moment's notice. But also, um, back at that time, uh, the me, I'd I'd like to say the real me, but it's just a part of, you know, me. Um, I was also the sort of guy that if the salvos knocked on my door and asked for a donation, I would politely say, oh, sorry, mate, not now, and shut the door, like, really quickly. And I was also the sort of guy, we were at the pub, you know, having a meal, and a mate came up and said, oh, Jared, I'm short five bucks to buy a steak meal. Can you, can you lend me a few quid, and I'll pay you back. Um, all I would say to him, sorry, mate, you're just going to have to have a salad <laughs> um, and, and just get something you can afford. I'm, I'm, I haven't got that now. Um, and I was also the sort of guy that if, I say if, I donated to charity, I would only give two bucks because that was the minimum amount uh, you had to give before it was tax deductible. So that was, that was me back in the day. So 
all my displayed generosity and hospitality was just that. It was just a display. It was all part of this natural tendency of, of wanting to draw almost everything in the world except the needs of other people into me. You know, I did what I did to exalt myself uh, for the popularity and, you know, other reasons. And, and if giving and sharing hospitality didn't make much of me, well, I just shut it out of my life. I just didn't do it. Now, 1 Peter 4, in that, that verse 9, commands us to offer hospitality willingly and ungrudgingly. And that's, that's the opposite of the old me. Um, because transforming hospitality is not achieved by doing a heap of kind gestures, like you know, shouting everybody a beer. Okay? Transforming hospitality is never achieved by just doing something. It can only be achieved by becoming someone who when they see the extra money or the extra food or the extra energy that you're going to need or the extra space you're going to need, you don't care. You just don't care. In fact, uh, those sorts of people enjoy giving hospitality so much they desire it and they go out and pursue it just like it says to do in Romans 12. And so, you know, Daniel, when I was talking with Daniel about about talking with you today. He said, well, Jared, how did radical hospitality transform you? What did God do uh, to, to, to change you? You know, what did he, you know, how, how did you go from that sort of a person to the person you are now? Um, and, and part of that journey uh, began in central northern China over 20 years ago, where my family and I lived, uh, and my wife and I worked as missionaries for a couple of years. Now, I was a teacher in Burke. Uh, if anybody doesn't know where that is, it's in outback New South Wales. Uh, it's only about 1,500 people big, so it's not, it's not very big at all. And my biggest cohort of students was like 14, from year 7 to year 12, in this tiny Christian school. And I went from there to being in charge of 120 students, uh, the entire first year intake of a brand new um, English language school. So in January, uh, in the early 2000s, my family got up and we left the 45 degree heat from outback New South Wales and after an overnight flight, we landed in Beijing where it was 25 below zero and, uh, oh yeah, that was, that was tough. <laughs> Soon after that, we headed out to a place uh, in central northern China near the banks of the Yellow River. It was apple growing country where about 80% of uh, the people or of my students lived in caves. So you can see them, they're dug out from the side of a hill. Uh, this is a close-up of what they look like when you're there, just in front of them. Um, here's a shot of what they look like on the inside. So there's no windows, just the door that you go in for. And this was their main, this was this family's main living area. It was one of my students, they're her parents there. You can see in the middle, uh, sort of foreground, or background, sorry, that's their dining room table. It's about two foot high. Uh, it's an old rickety thing. And that's where they ate, and they either sat on tiny stools that were about six inches high, or they squatted around that table. They were happy folk. Uh, this is another shot of another, another, they had two or three of these caves. This is where they slept. Um, you can see beds up there on your left-hand side. On the right, you can see they also dried their grain. There's a bit of um, probably barley there, and behind that, <laughs> garlic that's drying out. So you can imagine, this is... Uh, where they slept and the sorts of smells and things 
uh, that would be uh, that would be there in this in the room with you so the students came from homes that were relatively poor by our standards uh, most could only afford two meals a day a brunch which was fairly substantial and an evening meal uh, and everything they ate in this part of China was seasoned with vinegar garlic and chili sometimes all three so um, yeah it was an interesting interesting sort of diet so this new school was a boarding school. So the kids didn't go back to this every night. They stayed at the school. And we had contacts with the students uh, basically 24-7. Now these students uh, had never heard the gospel ever. They, they rarely saw a foreigner even. Yet we were in a country where Christianity was and it still is outlawed. On the school campus being caught with a Bible in our possession uh, would mean instant dismissal from our jobs. So how do you reach these students? You know, what, what do you do? So uh, my wife and I and some of the other foreign teachers, there were two or three of us, began praying and we were asking God to show us what to do because we could teach, anybody can teach, but how do you actually reach and seek and save the lost when it's against the law to do so? And before you know it, students came knocking on our door unannounced and uninvited. Um, now in China, uh, it's traditional and normal etiquette that when a guest comes to your home, you must ask if they've eaten a meal and then invite them to eat something. And it's normal etiquette to lie through your teeth and say, oh, thank you, but I've already had something to eat, even if you haven't eaten all day. And it's kind of like this, this process. So you have to go through the, oh, you come and stay and have something to eat and you have to refuse. And after about three or four times, um, the guest would normally give in, but never on the first time, never on the first invitation. So we went through this, and uh, what happened uh, afterwards was, was really quite amazing. We didn't throw any extravagant parties. Uh, we didn't put on any fancy food. We cooked up simple things. Um, you know, that's... My daughter up there on the left-hand side with a student, we were trying to teach her how to ride a bike. <laughs> Wasn't terribly successful, that's why she's got a scar on her head there. She had a crash. Um, but, you know, simple thing, uh, French toast. And when the Chinese in that part of China, all they had ever seen were chopsticks and maybe the odd spoon, uh, to use a knife and fork to eat something was a bit of a novelty. So that was great. So we had simple things like French toast. We, we cooked up spaghetti. There's a bunch of teachers there uh, that came up and they came in and we said we'll have something to eat we had spaghetti uh, we also made hamburgers out of this bread that they made out of like a gravel pit there was a 44 gallon drum and most of it was coals on the top they had about a i don't know a 10 inch layer of looked like crusher dust if you know what that is like very finely ground blue metal rock and it was piping hot and so they'd roll out uh, the bread and dig a hole in the gravel chuck it in cover it up and after a few minutes, that was your bread. It cooked it, and that, that's the bread we used. Um, so we made hamburgers, and that's something they'd never even seen before. They'd never seen a Macazad here. Um, and uh, anyway, we, we were just using stuff that was normal to us, that we could get hold of, using their local ingredients and uh, utilising it in a different way. Uh, and the meals became regular weekend affairs. Um, and the mealtimes of such good fellowship... Um, but sometimes uh, it was our neighbours and the students that came to our home and they brought dinner and they would make it in front of us. And so that's one of our neighbours uh, trying to teach us how to make uh, noodles that you make by hand. 
Um, and here are some students with my children. Uh, I got my son there, the tall guy in the back, and my daughter on the left. They're teaching us how to make dumplings their way, Chinese dumplings. Uh, and it was delicious. Um, and look, it was so much fun that even the washing up was a fun thing to do. Now, I've, I've never had uh, a really good opinion of washing up. I've never regarded it as fun. But I tell you what, doing this hospitality gig, um, it just makes everyone there so eager to serve. It was almost a race to see who get to the dishes first. Um, and I was happy not to come first. Um, and everyone, my students, uh, you know, the, my four children, my wife, uh, myself, and the other teachers in the school, everyone that came along to these sort of weekend dinners was transformed by God in some way or other. And the things that happened over these simple meals were amazing and in many ways quite miraculous. Because something happens inside your heart when you see God's power working in someone else's life right before your eyes. It just, it's, it's, it's amazing. It softens your heart. And the students started coming to us and they started sharing with us. You know, their, their, um, their emotional needs, uh, their, their academic needs, their physical needs, their spiritual needs even, they realised there was something missing. And they also shared their medical needs, which is weird because we're not doctors, but, you know, God provided a way for us to be able to help each time. And so the students were certainly transformed by the power of the Spirit over frequent and regular meals around a family dinner table. Um, now, most of the students and, and teachers you saw in these photos are now Christians. They've been baptised. Um, they love and confess Jesus as Lord. They serve the needy willingly, and they give to the needy willingly and with love. So in China, through radical hospitality, uh, God transformed me from a person who used to see hospita hospitality purely um, as a way uh, of big noting myself, you know, um, from that into a person who, who now actually enjoys uh, giving of my resources to those in need. So through seeing radical hospitality transform others, God has transformed me so that now um, I see hospitality as a lifeline that keeps me connected to what's real, you know, to what's eternal. And through witnessing uh, radical hospitality given to me and in my life and in the lives of others, God has reminded me that everything, everything we have is a gift from God. And um, this God can lift all of us out of our desperate need by the power of his grace. So by the grace of God, radical hospitality has the power to transform us as hosts as well as the guests we share it with, uh, whether they're family or neighbours or complete strangers. And as we as hosts change to become more welcoming, as we become more willing to open up what is normally considered ours and share it with our neighbours, we see those we are trying to reach out to change as well. And uh, all of this not from our own efforts, but through the power and the grace of God. But what about, what about the unlovable people in our midst? An old preacher by the name of Robert Capon said this, even the worst stinker on earth is someone for whom Christ died. And I guess if we were trying to picture in our minds someone who we could call the absolute 
most unlovable stinker in the world, um, I can only think of one person or one thing, okay? Uh, it's the character Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. So hopefully most of you here are familiar with Lord of the Rings. If you're not, uh, he was like, I don't know, what would you call him? The anti-hero of the whole series. Um, he, he was for the most part bald, uh, but I don't think there's anything wrong with bald people necessarily. Um, you know, he was ugly, he stank, he was a murderer. Uh, he had mental health problems and almost everyone in the story wanted nothing to do with Gollum. You know, they wanted him out of their lives. They wanted to be free of him whenever they met him. Now, I want you to imagine trying to reach out to Gollum with radical hospitality. And you'll get an idea of how uncomfortable it is to reach out to the unlovable in our society. I want you to meet a man called Mark Andre Renton. Like Gollum, this dude's bald as well. That's him on the left-hand side. Now, he wasn't a murderer, but when uh, this photo was taken, Mark was about 35 years old, perhaps 36, and he'd spent the last 17 years of his life in prison for violent crimes, mainly armed robbery. Uh, look, he's a big unit, if you can't tell. He's a fairly big unit. He was tough. And after leading prison riots in Townsville and elsewhere in Queensland, uh, he had a bit of a reputation amongst inmates and the prison staff. Now, Mark, I would suggest, would be your typical unlovable social outcast. Uh, when he was in a place called Woodford Prison, which is in the southern part of Queensland, um, he got to the stage where he was suicidal. He was sick of life. And another inmate just said, oh, Mark, shut up, read this. And they gave him a Bible. Um, and he looked through it and he goes, oh, you know, Genesis, nah, Exodus, nah, and he, all these books, and he's going, I don't know any of these, and oh, Kings, he came to the book of Kings, he thought, oh, I, I know about Kings, so he read that, and from reading uh, the books of one and two Kings, that led him, or it's, it began the journey uh, on a quest to find out more about God. And you might ask, well, what's that got to do with radical hospitality? Well, Mark reached out for help through an organisation called Prison Fellowship uh, and uh, myself and a few other volunteers began ministering to him in prison um, and were able to support him and we promised we'd support him when he got out. Now, when we think of hospitality, we normally think of having a meal around a table, don't we? Like having dinner with someone or having, you know, some sort of food. But remember, the Bible, uh, in the Greek word, the word for hospitality just means love for strangers. And so by the outpouring of unconditional love for Mark, by a number of, of Christian men in this case, uh, God's grace was able to impact Mark in a way that changed his life forever. Um, you know, these men opened up their lives mainly through sharing their time with Mark while he was in the prison. And when Mark got out of prison, you know, we shared other resources, uh, including eventually our homes. Uh, so now Mark uh, is a new man. I can say that because I know him uh, and have spent some time with him. I'd describe him now as a gentle giant. You know, the violence of his past, you know, if you didn't know his past, you wouldn't even think he could be anything like that. And he now reaches out to men who were just like him in days gone by. Outcasts, for some reason or other, um, some of those men you see in the picture have been in prison, just like him. Others have suffered from uh, drug and alcohol abuse, 
and some are there for other reasons. Uh, and part of what he does is extend radical hospitality to these men. Nothing fancy. Uh, that's just a room at Bond University on the Gold Coast that they let him use for free. Uh, it's got a couple of lounges, you know, a table. We're drinking out of polystyrene cups. Uh, and there's a packet of chocolates on the table. That's it. And we have, oh, when I was there, we had a, a great time. And Mark gives of his time regularly. This happens two or three times a week with Mark. So radical hospitality. Um, look, it's, it's uncomfortable. And we can think up a lot of reasons for not doing it, can't we? You know, it's, I'm limited in time. I haven't got the space. My home's not big enough. I haven't got the money. Um, or it's really not my thing, you know, like Pastor Daniel. He's an introvert. You know, it's so hard just to go out and find someone you don't even want to be with and have them in your home. The thing is, hospitality that transforms people, it's not about me or my comfort. It's about being obedient to God's command, firstly, to practice and pursue hospitality. And hospitality, secondly, is about uh, transforming people uh, by who Jesus is and by who Jesus loves, which is everyone on the planet. So part of the heart of transforming hospitality is about finding people on the margins, people who, who are not necessarily loved by everyone else, and bringing them in, just like Jesus did to Zacchaeus. Daniel's mentioned that in his previous talks. Uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector that was extremely unpopular with his own people, and Jesus went to his home to have dinner. And uh, one of the reasons Jesus was accused of you know, being a drunkard and a glutton because, because he ate with tax collectors and sinners in general. He went to the margins and brought people in. So I want to now close with just a few suggestions uh, to encourage anyone here who may be struggling with how they may embark on the journey of radical hospitality. Now, most of us would say, look, it's, it's just resources. I'm limited in my resources. I don't have enough time, don't have enough money, don't have enough space. Um, let me see. Yep, here we go. A bloke called Burke Parsons said, you know, we don't need to develop our cleverly devised tactics and schemes to practice hospitality. We simply need to trust God to do what he said he will do by the means he has provided. Okay, and that means, firstly, you can't reach every person who is in need. You just can't. It's impossible, so, so don't try. Now, if you don't have a lot of money, you know, if money is your limitation, well, how much do you have? I mean, who here has not got five bucks to spend on hospitality? Has anybody not got five dollars? Oh, good, because if you, someone raised their hand, I was going to lower the amount. Um, but here you go. I bought a bag of tricks. It doesn't take much to um, invite someone around your home. If you have a roof over your head, uh, you're richer than 15, sorry, 85% of the world's population. If you have a roof over your head, that's a packet of popcorn. You can say, hey, come around, let's have some popcorn. That's 95 cents. Okay, so if you haven't got money, it doesn't matter. Um, and my wife said, you know, one of the things that she really noticed when we were in Burke and we had uh, students come around to eat with us, that they loved just plain bread with real butter. You know, at Cornerstone, uh, which was the missional community uh, west of Burke, on the farm that I was working at, um, yeah, they had like bread and just margarine. So when they could eat real butter, okay, 
So that's less than four bucks. That's a $1 loaf from Woolies. And again, that's everything's Woolworths branded. I think that was $2 something, was it? Yeah. Um, so that was great. So you can whack that in the toaster, um, put some of this on it. Almost everybody's got some sugar and cinnamon and tea and coffee at home. Again, less than four bucks. You got yourself something you can be hospitable with. And you go, oh, I don't want to wash up. Well, who cares? $1.50, 20 paper plates, okay? And look, I, I know you think, oh, there's a bit of a pride thing here. I, you know, I can't have people around at my home and, and serve a meal on paper plates. That would just be like, you know, shame, shame, no face, uh, particularly for us Asians. Um, look, but in the year 2000, in the year 2000, uh, guess who came to Burke? The Queen, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth came to work with Prince Philip and all her entourage and the town put on this huge barbecue in the, in the park that was in the centre of town. And so there's about oh, 300 people, so not many, but we're only a small town. There's 300 people there. There's security everywhere. There's the press everywhere. And the Queen's there with Prince Philip, you know, coming around, shaking hands, saying hello. And the local indigenous community put on a barbecue of their traditional food. So we got kangaroo, we got emu, we got goanna got a bit of damper, and a portion of it was cut up and dished out to Her Majesty the Queen with a serviette on, guess what, <laughs> on a paper plate, okay? So look, if it's good enough for Her Majesty the Queen, it's good enough for anything we can do in Hobart or in Tassie, all right? So paper plates are the go because you don't want to be stressed out by having to wash up a heap of dishes after you've had people for a meal. Yeah, okay, so take note, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, if you feel, okay, that, that, that's, that's the whole money issue. Uh, it's gone. It's not an issue. But if you feel you haven't got the courage or um, just the ability within you to go out and be hospitable, I, I want to encourage you to take heart. Jesus never meant for us to do things on our own. You know, even when he sent his disciples out, he sent them out two by two, didn't he? So find someone. If you can't do it on your own, you don't feel like you can do it on your own, Partner with someone who you know and go from there. Just take a step and grow your faith. Because the true cost of transforming hospitality, look, it's not the money, is it, really? It's not the time or the energy. The cost is a willingness for you or me to change. So what kind of changes can God work in you and the people around you? And this is my last slide. I'm closing on this. These are the sorts of changes that um, that's meant to be crossed out. That stuff in red is meant to be sort of crossed out, but it's not. But it's in red, so you know that's the... It is crossed out? Okay, good. Oh, it is. Okay, sorry. Um, so on the left, you've got the way we think. Okay, this is my time. You know, here's my food. This is my place. This is my home. Uh, this is how we think, you know, because we've built these fences around these things. Um, and in the middle... That's how we respond to people, you know, when we think about hospitality. Here is my time. My time is mine. You know, go away. <laughs> um, but God changes us. When you do transforming hospitality, we go, here is my time. It's yours now. You know, I'll, I'll go up to, you know, Michael. Well, there's a couple of Michaels here, but anyone will do. Um, you know, my time's yours now. How can I help you? you know, how can I pray with you? How can I encourage you? Same here. Here is my food. Um, you know how kids, particularly when you've got a heap of siblings, uh, you put like something they really, really like, ice cream down, and they just sort of lean over. This is my food, and they <sighs> breathe all over it. <laughs> Spread germs. 
Um, you know, we do that in a, in a psychological sense. You know, look, it's, it's not my food anymore. Look, it's my food, but I want you to be nourished. This is the sort of change God brings in your heart. Here is a place to sit. You know, I have a favourite chair. My wife has a favourite chair at home. And we growl when someone else, including each other, sit in it. You know, like, it's mine. You know. But no, it's, it's, we have to change. Here is my chair. Um, here is a place to sit. I'd rather you have rest than me. Okay, this is the sort of change we're talking about. Here is my home. And look, our home is a place of comfort. Let's face it. It's our castle. We feel safe. And we feel unsafe when anyone invades it. You know, um, I've got a mate here who's car was burnt. They, they jumped over the fence and they set his car alight in the middle of the night. Now, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel just really uncomfortable and awkward, okay? But God is saying, okay, here is your home. I want you to change and, you know, offer that comfort to someone else who needs it. And last of all, uh, you know, here is my forgiveness. Okay, that's really hard, isn't it, to try and forgive someone, even though they might not have sinned against you. Who would want to have a murderer sit with them at the dinner table? Or who would want to take one out to banjos? Yeah, <laughs> um, there are a few of us here that do that, but it's, 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 it's different. God changes you to want to do that, not just out of a, a thing you tick off of duty. You, know, you have a desire to meet these people and go, hey, come on, let's go to banjos or something. Um, so here's my forgiveness. Instead of saying, look, you're evil, <laughs> you know, my forgiveness is not for you. You say, I know what a gift it is to be forgiven, because we are, we are, we are forgiven. Let's pray. Gracious Father, uh, you know, sometimes we look at um, transforming hospitality and being hospitable, it just seems so far away and so distant. So for those of us, Lord, who struggle with that, Father, help us to grow our faith. Lord, help us to trust you more and just step out with our brothers and sisters and reach out to the people that you would have us reach out to. Lord Hobart, uh, you know, Risdon Vale, South Hobart, New Norfolk, Lord, they're, they're full of people who are in need. In need physically, but Lord, most of all, in need for their sins to be forgiven and, and to be healed by you. So, Fathers, help us not to see the barriers, but Lord, to walk out and in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, in the courage that only you can give us. Father, reach out and change in ourselves so that we can change other people in transforming hospitality. And I, I pray this in your name. We all said, Amen. Amen.